Let's okay. go again. Sure. Before it gets too fun. This is Penn Sunday School. Now you're all set, aren't you, Matt? I'm, I'm certainly better. Better prepared. <laughs> Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn Sunday School. I'm Matt, and we're talking again to our friend Joe Terwilliger here on Penn Sunday School today. Well, that was, you leaned into that. And we were just discussing happiness and the happiness of North Koreans versus South Koreans. We have so much more to talk about. Here he is, preach the love, Penn Gillette. I was, I'm overwhelmed by how much we want to talk about. <laughs> preach the love. I got, I, I, I got stuff I want to go into to kind of change it up. Before I want to finish this, uh, how long... Uh, the longest trip were you in North Korea with Dennis Rodman? Well, with Dennis, they were short trips. Uh, the longest was maybe a week. Well, you were there without Dennis. Oh, I've been there many times without Dennis. I used to live at the university there. I taught uh, human genetics, human evolution at, at a university. Strangely, a university that's mostly run by Americans. And it's the Americans and Europeans going there to teach, a lot of whom are older, retired uh, Korean Americans who were born up there and they really just want to help the people because it's, you know, home. For me, it was just a chance to experience life as a normal person in North Korea. And it was fascinating. There's not really kidnapping there or... Oh, no, there's, there's zero danger when you're there. At one point, uh, when people were drinking and I, I was kind of the, 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 the sober monitor <laughs> for the group, uh, someone threw a brick of like... $1,000 out the 32nd floor window of the hotel. And it was brought back up to us in like five minutes. Another time I left the pair of underwear and a tie in my hotel room just by chance. And I come back six months later and it's folded and ironed and waiting for me in my hotel room. Six months? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I mean, I, I think crime is a non-issue. So I, I wasn't worried at all. There is an issue of, uh, People going there and knowingly doing things they know they're not supposed to do there. And I'm like, it, we all understand that the rules there are really extreme. There's not a lot of freedom. There's certain, a, a lot of heavy constraints on what you can do. But if I go to your house and you tell me to take my shoes off, I take my shoes off, right? Because it's your house. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have a, had a habit of going over there and trying to see what they could get away with. Instead of just going there for the experience, if you want to go there, you should go there, respect the system for what it is you don't have to like it but if you're in their house you have to play by the rules now what were those things that 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 bent your um your sense of how you wanted to live well i mean you're not very free to go do things on your own there's a lot of you know you're usually supposed to go with somebody as a foreigner i mean after i had the experience of meeting with kim jong-un and i have some nice pictures that I can show people, uh, then all of a sudden I didn't have to have a minder anymore. <laughs> and I also didn't get my lecture censored anymore because they used to pre-screen everybody's lectures, you know, before you talk, because they're careful about what you're allowed to say. But they were sort of like, well, we can't censor his lectures because he's the leader's but they, friend. They, did they change um, 
in Russia, mm-hmm. they had Lamarckian evolution instead of sure. Darwinian. Was there anything like that changing the science? No. And in, in fact, uh, I was actually very surprised by the amount of things they knew. Not only the students, because I, I taught at this university, and there, it was a program on agriculture and life sciences. I taught human genetics to them. And mostly what I did is I used my lectures to teach critical thinking. Because, uh, well, your friend Anne Buchanan and her husband and I, for the last 30 years, have taught courses on logical reasoning and human genetics to try to get people to be more skeptical, to more question things and to, you know, express doubt. And it's all about this way of reading something and deciding what is and isn't true. And that's what I teach when I'm there mostly, because to me, that's what science is all about. Mm -hmm. But they knew stuff. They knew a lot of stuff. And what they knew was surprisingly accurate. One time I made a, a joke about football and they understood, oh, touchdown, seven points. And I'm like, wow, how do you know that? I mean, half the people in America who don't watch football don't know that, you know? Penn, did you know that? No, I did not. I thought it was six points. Well, it is six points, but seven with the extra points. Uh, yeah, usually seven. Yeah. Well, it would be eight with two extra points. Yeah, nowadays, nowadays you can. <laughs> now you can get I two I thought points. I was making a joke and I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that rule changed a couple of years ago. You can it's run a two-point conversion. Two points, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and XFL has a three-point conversion. <laughs> uh, uh, how long were you there in one, in one stay? What's the longest? The longest was uh, two months. Mm-hmm. And we lived on campus with the students, so we're eating the same food as them, which, you know, you get meat once every two weeks. So you would have been happy, you know. Very happy. They have something there called uh, angel gogi, which is man-made meat. And oh, it's, really? That's it's, happening there? It's interesting. It's like it's made from like tofu sort of thing. Oh, so it's not uh, it's not what they call No, 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 no. Not what they call it here. Yeah, yeah. But it's like a really crisp protein-based thing. It's spicy. It was the best thing that they had. So we were all looking forward to the man-made meat all the time. You know, and once 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 in a while, they would they would give meat in the summer. It would always be dog, and no one would tell the Americans who were there who didn't speak Korean, which was most of them, until after they ate it. And then I'd laugh and tell them what they just ate. <laughs> so I got like this is so difficult. Okay, so like because North Korea, we we get told. I guess, like, what's your perception of how Americans are told about North Korea? Is that the right way I want to ask this? Well, it's, it's, in a way, it's both. You know, I mean, what they're told about us isn't true. They're told that we all, they, they use, like, the propaganda posters there often have the Americans all have big hook noses. It's like Nazi propaganda almost. Um, and they just show us as being the attackers trying to kill them and destroy them. And to be fair, we did a pretty good job of wasting the country mm-hmm. you know, back during the Korean War. It wasn't uh, necessarily a shining moment in our, our history. And a lot of that actually, I think, came out of the World War II because we had such intense propaganda to dehumanize the Japanese in order to kill people, because it's not normal for any human being to kill another right. human being until you dehumanize them. And I think that carried Even over to Korea. dehumanize Vietnam. them is really hard. Yeah, I know. You know that, those Civil War data about yeah. how many guns were fired. Yeah. Mind-blowing. People do not like to kill other people. No, of course not. Uh, and uh, Well, it's not of course not, because we have all this stuff that talks about how people are – I mean, a, a lot of the uh, draconian laws mm-hmm. are all based on people believing or being told that if the laws broke down for a second, you'd be running out and raping and murdering. You know, it's what, it's what people say about uh, – you know, about religion, mm-hmm. when they say to me, well, if you don't believe in God, why aren't you raping and killing everybody you want right. to? And my answer is always, I am. Yeah. I'm raping and killing everybody <laughs> I want to. Exactly. I'm yeah. not being yeah. held back at all. Exactly. The fact that that answer is zero yep. is all you need to know. 
Well, an interesting thing that you bring up religion is, you know, this this university, most of the professors are evangelical Christians because uh-huh. they don't get, you don't pay. You go there, you got to do it for free. Mm-hmm. And um, they're not allowed to talk about religion at all with the students, of course, and they have their own worship services in a private room in the dormitory on Sundays. But I, I'm an atheist. I, I don't believe in that. And so when they were in their religious things, I would usually go out with the students and weed the yard, you know. And then they would ask, because we're allowed to answer when they'd ask us about religion. they say, how come you're not? And the students would always say, how come you're not in your ideology session? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the Korean Americans who teach there, we call their Kim Jong-il, Kim Il-sung ideology study section their church. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading because, you know, when I was a kid, until they threw me out, I had to go to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And I asked too many questions. They didn't want me there anymore. Same thing to me. There you go. This is what That's what happens says. when your dad works at a prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> now I'm starting to see why your friend Ann thinks yeah. we're similar. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, what, what I never said to start this is Ann said you had to be on the show because we were the same person. Yeah, that's what she tells me too. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, <laughs> maybe, but well, anyway. <laughs> sorry. That's all I can say is sorry. <laughs> me too. <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> but, but I found it fascinating because I also, when I wanted to learn Korean, I got a computer from North Korea that has all their textbooks on it from kindergarten through college. And so I read them. And interestingly, the North Korean made computer has this function where you highlight a word and it'll give you the English. So it's perfect for learning a language. But so they have this class that they all have to study called socialist ethics. And I read it and every story was just like stuff that I had to read in Sunday school. And it's the same stories without the magic. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was actually, to me, quite fascinating, that the values are the same. It's like, be good to people. If someone is in trouble, give them your shoes, you know, and help them out. And it's like the same type of parables. And so the values are the same that they teach the North Koreans and the South Koreans. They just don't realize it, even though they kind of do when they call the ideology session building their church. You know, when I was out in, uh, in uh, outside of Wuchow in, yeah. uh, in China, mm-hmm. And I was out where I was the first white person yep. they'd seen. And uh, they actually thought I looked like Michael Jordan, yep. <laughs> which I thought was really funny. And they were freaked out by my hair yep. and uh, breathtakingly rude. Yep. When I was out there, I was fascinated with our translators of just saying, do they know Elvis? Right. <laughs> do they know Madonna? Right. And I was really surprised. They knew Michael Jordan. Right. Didn't know Elvis. Right. Never heard of Elvis. Right. So when you're in North Korea, they know who the Beatles are? (sighs) Probably not. I bet the musicians do because they do covers sometimes. Dylan? I would assume not. I assume they don't. The average person doesn't know anything about uh, Western music. Right. And how about... uh, But all they play is jazz. Even though they say jazz is illegal, freeform, so it's all written out. Mm-hmm. But it's jazz. It's big band jazz. And it's like... And it's, it's illegal to imp- improvise? It was traditionally banned. Yeah, there were articles in the 50s that they wrote in their music journals about that. Yeah, mm, Nutty. Did you play tuba over there? Uh, no, because I, it's a little big to throw in yeah. the overhead bin. Uh, but I wanted to, and you know, but there's no opportunity. They, they haven't made like electric tuba that's just a mouthpiece and... No, but they, they do have what they call travel tubas now that are all really wound tightly, but it's just not worth it. Sometimes I, care, I travel with a bass trumpet, which is, you know, similar enough. But you know. but it seems like you could have just the mouthpiece mm-hmm. and then 
three valves, or maybe you want four, and I do five. everything electronic. You have five. <laughs> yeah. Holy fuck. And then, um, <laughs> and then uh, do everything else electronically. It seems like, here's where you're going to make your million, Joe. <laughs> your, your travel electric tuba. Well, they have like MIDI horns and stuff that you can do things with yeah. like that. But the thing is that with brass instrument, unlike string, I'm vibrating. Mm -hmm. So it's this is where the music comes from. Yeah. The tone and everything is shaped by how I buzz my lips. Right. You know, so you kind of need the amplifier. And the horn's just an amplifier. Right. You know, you push the valve down to change the length of the horn. I thought we were going to go to the song. The music goes round and round. Oh, whoa, whoa. there you go. <laughs> Push the middle valve down. Uh, I was all excited for a second. Um, you don't want to hear me sing. So your daily. Uh, so wait, wait. On the ideology thing. Yeah. So I think like we're told that you have to talk about that the Korean North Koreans have to talk about Kim Jong Un like he is magical or immortal in some way. No, they don't. They don't believe that. They believe like they, it's kind of like. The stories that they are taught about the leaders are like what we're taught about George Washington and the cherry tree or well, these kind of on, stories. No. A lot of it is. A lot of it is. They do. They are separate from everybody else in that what they say is taken way more seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, he is considered the leader of the country and the ultimate thing and no question. There's no, is there a connection to God? Is there supernatural? No, no. That's what I'm saying. There's no supernatural what, connection. What do you mean there's no supernatural? Then how do they believe he's the how, – how is that handed down generation? What? No, I, I, <laughs> how are kings handed down generation to generation? They think that they have this, what they call the Bektusan bloodline, which is the bloodline from the father passes through and that this super genes or something. Now, but they don't, they don't believe that there's magic to it. Is your buddy uh, over there uh, trying to make life for the people better? I think that there was an effort. What I noticed is when he took over after his father, the things that you'd notice on the street were that there was more low-level capitalism. Like, people were allowed to sell stuff. They were allowed to start doing things. The market started bustling. And they also introduced something that they're, they're – they're, you know, it used to be like there'd be five companies making potato chips or computers or whatever. They started a system where if your company sells out its quota and does better, you can use that money and make more money after you paid off your quota and pay your people more. So it's they're they're trying to move a little bit in a in a direction towards capitalism because you have to. And what is the starvation percentages? Is, are they I, I don't think it's it's not bad at all at the moment. In early in 1994 to 96, there was bad. There were famines and floods, and it was a disaster. There were a couple of times in the early 2000s when it was really bad. Um, the but thing you're is, telling me day to day and. You're still not rarefied. The university, aren't you into rarefied? No, I've, been, I've been all over the country. I've been, because I was also, I studied North Korean language in China. And we used to go in on the weekends to North Korea to the beach to just hang out and talk to people. You know, that's how you learn to communicate. You just like talk to normal folks. And so, I mean, it's poor. Don't get me wrong. The country is very poor. And um, part of that is our fault because the sanctions are actually crippling. But I mean, you, know. you, you, uh, the system when is I was stupid, in, but yeah. when I was in uh, India, yeah. Shadapur, yeah. you know Shadapur? No. Well, there's uh, there's there's Delhi, yeah. there's New Delhi, and then there are the slums sure. where the uh, uh, the untouchables live, right. even though they're not saying they're untouchables any longer. I went into there, and it changed my nightmares forever. Yeah. Uh, it was just open sewage. Yeah. Everything was covered with flies. Yeah. Uh, people shooting up, mm -hmm. dead people, people with diseases I would I'd never seen, leprosy yeah. and shit like that. Yep. 
What else do I want to say? A polio. Mm-hmm. I always have to be fair when I say this. This was 2000. Yeah. So things changed. Things changed a lot in 25 sure. years. Uh, and China too. Yeah. And Egypt. I just felt like the standard of living. Mm-hmm. I read books on sociology. I read books on the hunter-gatherers. And there is a kind of freshness and purity and uh, mm-hmm. health to it. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen that. Right. You know I mean, I've only seen tremendous suffering. Yep. So you go into the regular people in Korea, okay, and you're going to say hi to them. These aren't people with rickets and open sores with sewage around them. Right. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, they have a, a fairly high ratio of medical doctors per person. They're not they're not like our medical doctors, kind of like China's barefoot doctors mm-hmm. were in the old days. So their their public health system is based on one doctor, maybe a hundred patients or something. Mm-hmm. And so they know everybody. And so the, the, there's basic treatment for those things. They don't have supplies. They don't have modern medicine. Supplies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 And so, so I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to say their quality of life is good. It's not good, right? It's poor. They're working all the time. They're running around. You're supposed to speak of their happiness. I, I, what I say is, I think that happiness for most people doesn't come from stuff. It comes yeah. from your family, your friends, and the one thing communists understand. Now, I'm a libertarian. I'm the opposite of a communist, complete opposite. But when I went there, I wanted to say, well, what if I'm wrong? What do I learn by looking at this other system and see how does it work? And what I notice is that in some ways, first of all, there's no pressure, right? Because I've never met anybody who's a member of a workers' party that actually worked, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) you don't get a reward for good work. You risk getting in trouble for good work, right, if you do something wrong. So nobody does anything. And they pass the buck to lower and lower levels of management. So the guys at the bottom have a lot of independent sort of power and all the stress. The guys, anyone who's not at the very bottom doesn't have much stress. So this is the thing, like in South Korea, they call it hell Joseon, which is like hell Korea, because everybody's pushed so hard to work all the time. In Japan, you've been to Japan. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the same, the same idea. And if you want to think of work-life balance, for example, that's much better in a place where nobody does anything. Like the professors at our university, the North Korean professors would play ping pong most of the time, you know, and it's very relaxed. and. I'll be honest. When I'm there, I find it very relaxing because there's no distractions, there's no cell phones. And, you, know. uh, you don't have you don't have a family that I'm single. To... No, I've never found anyone who could put up with me for more than a year or two. So, so you so you leave for two months. It's not a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. Yeah. Not a thing. Uh, now, for work, but I take vacation from work when I would go there. We can't go now because you know Trump's stupid passport ban on American citizens going there is still in effect. And what would you put the uh, the odds? Uh, this is putting you on the spot. Okay. Give us give us the odds of uh, them firing nuclear stuff. Zero. That's quick. Um, and, and the ah. reason is the reason is you can accuse the North Koreans of a lot of things, but you can't accuse them of not being pragmatic and practical. They survived the fall of the Soviet Union. They just survived all these chaotic things that have happened in their history. They want to deter it. They want some way to stop us from saying we want to change the regime by force. And they want some way to not feel like they're threatened. Again, you know, I'm not saying that they're good, that they're right, that there's something positive about the system. What I'm saying is, as a human being, you have to have empathy. You have to go someplace and listen to them and not just tell them what's wrong with them. Well, you know, I was friends with Christopher Hitchens. Okay. And every time 
you'd have an argument with Christopher Hitchens mm-hmm. about about politics. Yeah. He would always bring up his fucking friend on the Afghan Afghanistan border yeah. and his fucking friend and, and oh and I was over in there. Right, right. And he had these actual things. Yeah. And uh I believe it just well it just shuts me up completely. Because my view is is just uh, starving, awful people, and there's also the problem of yeah. I don't know. Well, the, I mean, I we, sure we think of them I'm not powerful. Well, what, what do you yeah, think? Yeah. But well, I'm curious. Like we we the, the 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 thing that I digest from our media about North Korea is that they would be better off and happier with a regime change. I I don't know about that. I think that. The system there, as I said, like the higher up you are, the less power you have in in a practical sense because you don't want to use it because there's no reward for mm-hmm. doing a good job and there's punishment for screwing up. So I think if you wiped away the whole government, everything would still operate like nothing had changed because it's the reason it's so stable is because of this inertia, which is created by this lack of, you know, basically anyone telling people what to do. In a way, it's almost bizarrely libertarian in the sense yeah. that each town some towns have good electricity some don't because the people in that town did it for that town there's this sense of we're in it together oh interesting and also a big difference but, but I think. do they want like do you ever get a sense that they want uh kim jong-un like they want to change the way things run thick? i i don't think there's any resistance in north korea there's uh when, when i mean the people work I mean, the, the poor people there work a lot, right? They're doing physical labor without the modern machinery because they don't have the oil, gas and the oil to power the machinery. So they're busy putting food on the family and clothes on their kids' backs and doing that sort of basic thing, and they're not thinking about politics. Mm-hmm. The people that are living in Pyongyang are middle class. They're doing okay. They all got their smartphones, and they're all, you know, on the local intranet all the time with their can local they, YouTube. Can and, they get out of the local internet? No. Uh, at the university, they can, though. Uh, at our university, we had full internet. Um, we could do anything we wanted. We could even look at porn, um, you know. But the, they couldn't. They had what they had but to do. Is they had to register the websites they wanted to go to, and then they were allowed to, which is opening for them. So I was asked by the North Korean government at one point if I could arrange a class for their scientists on how to use the internet. And I'm thinking, wonderful. You crack open Pandora's box, and that's a good thing, right? You show them what they're missing. And it was, we got, we got the funding, Columbia University supported it. We were going to do an exchange program of students between their university and ours. And I think the way you change what people think about America is bring them to America, you know, because our biggest asset is that we're nice. You know, we're friendly people just like they are, you know, that's, I think all you're saying is they're people. Exactly. (laughs) But but we don't see it that way. And that's not what you're getting from the news about Mm -hmm. them. They're not humanized. They're dehumanized. And I think part of that is, again, preparation for a conflict, which I don't think is good. And I think we're causing a lot of harm with the endless sanctions, and they're not going to respond to it for the reasons that I said, you know, Gaddafi gave up his weapons. We killed Gaddafi, you know? Yeah. It's 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 not it's not hard to understand, and it probably is the plan too. It's, yeah, it's probably not accidental. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's empathy. You've got to like whenever you talk to someone who you have a conflict with, you got to listen to them and try to put yourself in their shoes. And I ask all the people that say, you know, Kim Jong Un's bad, and we want to change this, you know, from our government or from other governments who talk to me. I would say, well, look, let's assume for the moment that you inherited Kim Jong Un's job suddenly. You're in this system. 
what you want to do is you want to give a better life to your people because you have to to stay alive. You're 35 years old and you want to live for another 60 years. So the rules are you don't want to die and you don't want to lose your job. Mm-hmm. What do you do? And that's a question no one answers. Well, I would, I would give up everything immediately and start a democracy and I'm saying, bullshit. The rule is you want to stay alive and you want to keep your job, which means you have to balance your own deep state, all the elderly gentlemen who are quite happy with their quality of life. And if you want to change anything, you can't rock the boat too much. So how do you do it? And I don't know. But I think yeah, that, I, that's you're the first person I've, I've ever heard brought up the elders and, and that he's not in full control. No man is ever in full control. You have to have your people around you because the system doesn't run. Chuck Norris. Okay, fine. He's a badass. He's a badass. <laughs> but I mean, what I'm saying is you can't run a government by yourself, you know? I mean, I saw Kim Jong-un say, I want this to us. And we he agreed that we could do certain things. And then someone would come up to me later and says, well, you can't. And it happens all the time because everybody's trying not to get in trouble. And if something went wrong, the person who'd be blamed is not him. It's somebody else. So there's obviously... I assume we agree on this, but maybe before I start the sentence, I should check. Sure. But uh, Trump is a dipshit. Trump's a dipshit, but... And I I do say but here. When we met Kim Jong-un the first time, it was 2013. He wasn't in politics then. As you know, that's when uh, Dennis went over there for the first time. Mm-hmm. Obama administration wanted nothing to do with us because Kim Jong-un gave us a phone number. He said, I'd love to talk to your government. Please have someone call us, right? So we were like, cool, here. you know. And they said, fuck off, basically, to us. Trump, on the other hand, called Dennis and says, please come to Trump Tower. I want to hear about the trip. So they told him about the trip, and he said, this is great. Anything you do to talk to people rather than killing them and shooting at them, I'm all in favor of. So I got to give him credit on that point. He's also the one president in my lifetime that didn't start a war. Yep. And he, he's probably our, uh, uh, not our first president, but one of our presidents who is an atheist. That's right. He's an atheist. He's not the first. I'm, I'm, I, no, I, no. I have a hard time believing that Clinton and Obama were serious when they went for prayer breakfast. Yeah, but the the... Uh, the most religious president we've had in history, you know, is Clinton. On on paper. On paper. Yeah. But that was what drives me, uh, well, this is a pet peeve of mine, there's yeah. no reason to get into, but people that love Obama, love Obama, mm-hmm. say to him, say say to me, well, you know, he just lied about the religion thing to get into office. Yeah. And you go, how are you spinning that as a good thing? Yeah, I know. Uh, don't we want to take him at it? If we like him, we take him at his word? Well, but this gets back to the Clinton blowjob thing. Yeah. I was like, who the fuck cares if he lied? It's a job description of politicians. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I expect nothing. I expect I don't expect that any of them are telling well, me the truth. I don't and I've had to... conversations with senators and congressmen. And as soon as you go slightly into material they haven't thought about, like things about North Korea, they just go back and start quoting talking points. And they, don't, they don't express any actual thoughts. Well, it depends on what situation you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, casual, like one-on-one conversation. No, no, but I mean, when it gets real casual, they say a lot of other stuff. Okay, well. You know, Trump, um, he went over to yeah, North Korea. I know, and what do you we think went to the co- Singapore summit. What do you think he accomplished? I think that for the look for the first time in a long time, they weren't testing anything. They weren't shooting anything off. They were trying to engage. Kim Jong Un went to the Hanoi summit with an idea that he was going to abandon this nuclear plant that everyone cared about. Now, 
I don't think very many people in our government were on board with what Trump wanted to do in terms of not, you know, discontinuing this hostile relationship. And a lot of them just say, yeah, it's because he wants to build hotels. I I don't give a fuck why he's pro-peace. As long as he's pro-peace, that's cool with me, you know, Mm -hmm. even if he wants to open hotels. Well, that's what... uh that's what I said when um, Nick Gillespie was mm-hmm. on here, and uh, I said, you know, that's a that's a tough bargain. Yeah. If you said to me during the time of Obama, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to offer you a president that will be uh, repulsive on every front, mm-hmm. and who will be actually the least intelligent president on every sure. level we've ever had. Yep. Uh, someone that has no morality yep. whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of bullshit yeah. and in terms of the, the constant thing scientific, that said scientifically, mm-hmm. that's not even wrong. But pro-peace you know. is immorality. Well, I don't think it is. I don't. It <laughs> certainly isn't with, with Trump. Maybe it's money. <laughs> and you see, but he doesn't even, he's not even good with money. Yeah, I know that. He's not but good he's with thinking I could make money if but, I um, peace. If you gave me all this, all this stuff bad about him, yeah. no morality, no no moral center, uh, which is clearly he doesn't have, and also not even wrong. He doesn't even have the respect to lie. Right. He just has no interest right. in what's true, which is much worse. Right. That wonderful essay on, by Frankfurt on, mm-hmm. on bullshit. But, Penn, he will embarrass you every second. He will make it so that your wife screams mm-hmm. in a bad way. <laughs> but he will kill fewer people than Obama. Will you take that deal? And every part of me screams no. And then I say, maybe if I hadn't shaken his hand or maybe if I didn't have to see him. I mean, it was just on paper. Here's the number of people that we're going to. And also with Bush coming in, I mean, uh, no, that's not who our president is. Biden. <laughs> with Biden coming in. No, I, no difference. <laughs> I, I, I almost, I almost, you know, wasn't oriented in the five spheres. So I was going to have to go to a <laughs> mental institute. You know what they do? They ask you who you are, where you are, what year it is, who the president is. Right, right, right. It's right, called right, being right. oriented right, in five right, spheres. Right, or whatever. Right. The test that Trump <laughs> bragged about passing. Yeah. <laughs> Biden is not doing better. No. Not even on immigration. No. So uh, I get really, you know, the the resolution of cognitive dissonance is horrible on this because he is a hateful piece of shit. Yeah. I assume you've met Trump. Yeah. Hateful piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Hateful piece of shit. And to show you the kind of weird hypocrisy, um, I was talking to, uh, I don't know who it was, but um, uh, one, of, one of the Trump hater uh, talk, which is everybody, talk show hosts, <laughs> and- uh, I said to them, well, you know, um, uh, Trump's, a, uh, Trump's an atheist. And they said, oh, how do you know that? And I said, well, I was, I was, talking, to, uh, I was talking to Don Jr., who said, interesting thing Don Jr. said to me. He said, <laughs> of everybody, I think you're the one who sincerely likes my father the most. Right, right. Uh, which I think is true because mm-hmm. I have a, I have I have more of a tolerance for eccentricity yeah. than anybody else that's going to be around him. And when he wasn't president, I I did kind of like yeah. him because he was just goofy. It was it was like Tiny Tim. Yeah, he was yeah, so yeah. far yeah. out of yeah. the out of the world. Yeah. And uh, so Don Jr. said to me, "And you're an atheist, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, you know, I just don't think we can come out and say it." Right, right. right. So I would tell that, yeah. and people would say. You've got to go out and say that so that he doesn't win the presidency. And I would say, first of all, no one's listening to me. But 
Second of all, you're asking me. You're asking me to out someone right. for something I believe in order to fuck them up. Right. And that is uh, who's cool. yeah. who's Trump's lawyer? Yeah. Cohen. What? Cohen. Michael Cohen. Cohen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The other one. The one before that that he built everything on. The absolute scumbag. Notorious in New York City is the biggest scumbag lawyer who, whoever. No, no, really. That's a big. That's a big. I know, but whoever lived, just the uh, anyway. He was gay. He was gay. Okay, that's important. And in the closet. Mm-hmm. And one of his favorite techniques to take down people he was against was to out them as gay. And that's what they're asking me to do, right? Right. right. That's me to do. And that the, the there's a, well, you know, I I, I imagine we agree on this, mm-hmm. but. You can never, ever say the end justifies the means because there's no such thing as the end. Right. That's and we only live in the means. That's right. So you can't. It's, it's right. a nonsense thing to say. Yeah. But we got to get to the important shit. <laughs> World peace is not that important. Fuck that shit. <laughs> hey, let me talk about something for a moment. I have got to tell you how great it is. You know, I'm on the road and stuff, and I, uh, which I'm in Manchester now uh, in England. Manchester, England, England. And boy, do I use the apps on my phone to find vegan restaurants and to find everything in a new city. It's great. But there is no better way to change your life with the digital world than to go with Stamps.com. You don't need to go to the post office anymore. If you mail or ship off and let Stamps.com do the hard part for you. Simply print postage and shipping labels right at your home or office. It's ready to go in minutes. No long lines or complicated setups required. And don't forget, they've been a sponsor of this show for 10 years since 2013. You could have figured that out in your head. Anyway, a post office in your office, postage rates just increased again. Luckily, Stamps.com is the best discounts in the industry. They are amazing. Partnerships with uh, USPS and UPS run beatable rates up to 84% off. I don't understand how that's possible. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping Options For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. So check it out. It's so easy. Matt Donnelly can use it. Avoid the hassle. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code PEN for a special office that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. Dot com. Click the microphone at the top of the page and enter the code PEN. I got to tell you, if you don't have stamps.com, uh, you're missing a lot of the modern world. It, it's the greatest. Gentlemen, are you ready to take your skin care to the next level? With Father's Day just around the corner, it's time to seize the opportunity. Our trusted partners at Caldera Labs, the leaders in men's skin care, have the tools to improve the skin of the father figures in your life. With their clinically proven products, wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging are visibly reduced and a surefire boost to your confidence this summer. Join Caldera Lab for a skincare upgrade trusted by countless men. Use code PEN at calderalab.com to enjoy an exclusive 20% off their finest products. I got to tell you, I used everything. I used a Clean Slate, which is a cleaning thing, obviously a base layer which makes you feel so um, 
uh, just soft and smooth and just right. And the good, which is right before bed, that's real good. And this great stuff called Icon, which really helps right around here. I'm really, I'm really digging this stuff. Really digging this stuff. They're committed to transparency, sustainability, and excellence. Caldera Lab is on a mission to better men's skincare around the world, priding itself on clean ingredients and doing right by their customers and the planet we live on. Caldera Lab is a certified B Corporation, as well as member of 1% for the planet. Through uncompromising craftsmanship, exceptional ingredients, and rigorous transparency, Caldera Lab is here to upgrade the father in your life's skin and confidence. Get 20% off with our code PEN at calderalab.com. That's 20% off at calderalab.com by using the code PEN. Maybe father time is a thing of the past this summer with the best skincare tools from Caldera Lab, C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com. And then, of course, you use pen. That's my name. The guy with the pretty nice skin. I get a friend. He has a dog. <laughs> he likes this dog. Okay. And it's a ridiculously big dog. Okay. You know, I'm um, my people are from Newfoundland. Mine too. Really? No. Yeah. Well, that's your name. Your name's a Newfoundland name. Well, I don't know. But no, my name, my dad's side is from New York. Huh. It's actually an American name. They didn't have surnames back then. So, huh. but um, my mom's family is from Newfoundland, and huh. then down to Nova Scotia. Okay. And down. So they got big dogs in Newfoundland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a guy up there yeah. that does a magic show where instead of using tigers, yeah. he uses this gigantic fucking dog. Awesome. Gigantic <laughs> fucking dog, like like the size of a truck. It's a horse. Yeah. But it's a dog, so mm -hmm. you don't have all the problems of dealing with wild animals. And he's got all these boxes built for the dog. And the dog is, I think the breed is Newfoundland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a big Newfoundland dog. Yeah. Which is something we forget about animals. When you're looking at birds, some of those birds fly better than the others, and we don't know it. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> we see a Newfoundland dog. There are big Newfoundland dogs. Right. And there's like really little Newfoundland dogs. Right, right. But we don't notice the difference. They're just fucking huge dogs. Right. And he puts them in boxes. And this dog, this one particular dog, which is what he does all his tricks with, fits in all the boxes. They're all built for him. And the dog doesn't care to be put in boxes and doesn't move. Right. And does everything just right the way he's supposed to. Now, the dog was picked up at a shelter and was perfect. Well, now the dog is 14 years old, okay? Yep. And he wants another dog. So he's gone out and he has bought. He's gone to shelters and adopted, and he's gone to uh, 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 breeders mm -hmm. and gotten pure purebreds. And he has now gone through four or five dogs. Mm -hmm. And... He doesn't get the size right, and none of them have the personality. Mm -hmm. They jump around. They do all this. So this uh, dipshit has found a company mm -hmm. that for 60 fucking grand, $6,000 will clone- 60. 60, yeah. 60 I said six, sorry. $60,000 will clone your fucking <laughs> dog. Now, I say to him, because as you know, Joe, I'm a geneticist. Yes, of course. Yeah. I but you say, identify as a geneticist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I say, uh, listen, Bob, yeah. listen to me. The dog you have, you picked up at a shelter. Yeah. You knew nothing about it. Yeah. Those genes were affected by the womb of the mother dog. 
They were affected by, of course, the stars in their alignment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, gravity from that yeah, distance, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were also uh, affected very much by, I know there's no difference between nature and nurture, but I'm just going to use the word, by nurture. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the dog you have has PTSD. Mm -hmm. That's why it's not moving to put up with anything. Right. That's why it's so funny. That's why it fits in the boxes. You're not going to get the dog you're going to get for 60 grand because it's cloned. He goes, well, I, I bought one dog and it looked exactly the same, but it didn't grow big enough. <laughs> and I said, well, okay. He said, then I bought another dog and it looked like the same dog, but it's bouncing all over the place. Right. I couldn't get into the boxes. It's too big. I couldn't wrestle it. So I said to him, $60,000, I think easily you get 130 dogs for that. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And look to try to find one. Mm -hmm. Now, what are his chances when the dog is cloned of getting a dog for his 60 grand that will fulfill his stupid magic act that he's <laughs> doing in, you know, dildo uh, <laughs> Newfoundland? Right. Um, the first thing I would point out is, like, doesn't he not know any identical twins? Mm -hmm. Humans? And they're very different from each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They die of different things. They have different diseases. There's different everything. So that is the first thing I would say. Is and they are clones. Game. Yeah, they are basically clones. The but, other but thing, you don't even need the word basically, do you? Sure, because clones? there's mutations happen all the time, even during development. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of somatic mutations that happen after you're born. And that I was going to come to is the biggest problem. You've got a dog who's 14 years old and the cells you're getting the DNA from have 14 years worth of mutations. Oh, jeez. Oh, which is part of aging and part of why, right. you know, just and none of those story, companies yeah. talk about that. Do of course they? not, because that does that undermines the business model. I mean, Dolly, I, I met the guy that cloned Dolly, the sheep at a convention in Kazakhstan of all places. Did you get to fuck Dolly? No, unfortunately, just, just, but you know, I would be a nice sideline. You know, I have no problem with that. Of all the, of all <laughs> as long as she consents. Of all, the <laughs> of all the headlines for this podcast, that's still would have taken top top billing. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I mean, the cloned Dolly aged faster, died younger, didn't live as as long because it's got a lifetime full of somatic mutations added to the mix. So of course, it's not the same. Can't be. Oh. And you're not going to get, uh, you know, I, 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 I mm -hmm. you know, I am completely uneducated, but I do like to, um, to read, you know, science books for lay people. And, uh, it's just once you understand that there is no nature nurture, that they are the same thing. Well, and you, you it depends on how you define. Down. You can't break them down. I mean, it depends know? how you find that. I mean, we had a, the reason I first got into Korea is we had a study trying to take like what you do when you grow plants in different soil and see what happens to them in different environments. We were looking at Koreans in Kazakhstan who were deported there by Stalin in the thirties, who are basically culturally in every way Russian, but biologically Korean. We were looking at Koreans adopted as infants and raised in Sweden who think they're tall blondes. So they look in the mirror <laughs> and we were looking at South Koreans. And I of course was thinking, well, what about North Korea? I gotta, you know, make this happen. Um, that's what motivated a lot of the stuff that I did there. Um, but there's huge differences between people with the same genetics that are raised in different environments with different cultures. Are you, are you, getting, are you getting close to a, a Spiro Agnew saying we have fat Japs? Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, are, you are kind of, aren't you? Well, I mean, I, I was in uh, Matamoros in, in Mexico where that 
a horrible incident recently happened with the Americans. I was there like well, a few- kid, Kidnapping. Yeah, I was there a few days earlier. And that's because we have a study where we're looking at health of Mexican-Americans in Brownsville, Texas, and Mexican-Americans in Matamoros, Mexico, to look at what's the difference in health based on the huge and totally bullshit artificial divide that's created by borders, mm. right? Because, you know, and, and it's enormous. I mean, diabetes and all this stuff is rampant on the Texas side and on the Mexico side. They're, they're, you can just look at well, them and what, see the differences, you know? You know? Because, because I'm vegan and I'm yeah. tied in with all these asshole diet people, <laughs> uh, they'll tell you, you know, um, uh, we say that um, the uh, African-American population uh, has a propensity for high blood pressure. Okay. Except yeah. only when they're in the United States. <laughs> well, but they're also admixed. So they have European genes right. as well as African genes. No, but genes. I mean, but the thing is that you take away that diet. Oh, yeah. You know, it's all the fucking diet. You you put anybody on the sad American, the sad yeah. standard American diet, they turn out fat, you know. For the most part, yeah. yeah. Although I had a, a, I had a student and he frustrates the hell out of me because he would sit down at one 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 dinner and he'd eat like four pounds of steak and all the toppings and everything and he doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. And for me, it's like I look at food and I get fat, yeah. right? And I found it. We found out one of the really interesting and very important differences between the two of us is we went to watch the Super Bowl. That's sports, uh, you know. <laughs> and um, seven points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it all ties together. But before the game, we had spicy chicken wings. By the end of the game, he was already complaining about the exit burn. Ah. And for me, it's 30 hours or so. So there's a real clear biological factors that are involved in this stuff. You know, it's not just eating. He's, he's just not getting the nutrients. Exactly. He's, I'm an efficient utilizer. And of when food. and when the food goes down to next to nothing, you're We're the one who's alive. <laughs> but have you noticed any changes in your personality or in yeah. any other aspects of yourself that oh, are, yeah. would have been we surprising? We both noticed that a lot uh, yeah. that we first started. You know, that's the thing. One is an atheist, of course, yeah. uh, 100% atheist, never doubt it. Yeah. And so there is no mind-body uh, separation. The sure. brain is, a, is an organ, and it's no different than anything else. And I believe that. I believed I believed that with every fiber of my soul. Me too. I really believe I believed that mm -hmm. until I lost, uh, I lost uh, 120 pounds mm -hmm. and my mood changed. Mm -hmm. And I went, wait a minute. Uh, I wouldn't. I didn't believe that. But why is that inconsistent? I'll tell you because I said I believed that my mind could live and be me, no matter how fat my body was. Uh huh. And the fact was, my mind was being affected by my body being fat. Yeah. So I I was not believing the separate. I'm saying this backwards now. I was believing the separation because I thought there was a me. Right, okay. That was separate from my body. Right, right. And losing all that weight, I went, holy shit. Mm -hmm. There's, and we also know that the microbiome sure. feeds stuff up of to course. the brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, was, it was just remarkable mm -hmm. to change that. It was remarkable that there was a calm that came over. Mm -hmm. uh, it was remarkable. that The other thing that's so weird, man, this is weird. I don't think this, this falls into your field at all. But it's so interesting. I, when I wrote my book on losing the weight, mm -hmm. Um, which starts right out with, if you take medical advice from a Vegas magician, you are an asshole. <laughs> That's the opening page of the book. One of the things I refer to myself as is I am an unethical 
vegan. Okay. So I don't care at all about how animals are treated. Okay. I don't care at all about the suffering. It's all about health. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I was. And it's hard for me to believe it because I go back and read that and go, I know I typed this. Mm -hmm. I know I put this in. It is so far from what I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's happened. It happened a bit to you, didn't it, Matt? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it's weird. And I don't know how much of this is, is physical and how much is mental, but you you know, you come for the health, stay for the tuba. So you <laughs> you come for the health, and then after like three months, your microbiome has changed, mm -hmm. and you're not getting all those signals for meat. So all of a sudden, to me, it felt, and of mm -hmm. course, every change in a person feels this way, it felt to me objective. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, before, yeah. I was being driven to meat. So I justified this, and the idea of factory farms, which should just be called factories, there's no farm, <laughs> just, I mean, really caused me great distress. Mm -hmm. And then as it went, even like happy mom and pop farms caused me great distress. And then the ecological point of view made this huge difference. And I guess there's a few ways to look at that. Mm. One way to look at that is, uh, which I forgot the woman's name, but who wrote the book about why do we eat cows, wear, and love dogs or something. You know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a book with a title like that. Uh, her argument is simply, we spent all this time uh, resolving our cognitive dissonance to be able to eat meat, mm -hmm. whereas nobody likes factory farms. Right. No one likes torturing animals. Mm -hmm. No one likes their suffering, but we're in the groove. Right. And when you no longer have to do that, <laughs> it's like you really feel, boy, I was thinking in circles like crazy. And so the answer to your question is when I lost all that weight, mm -hmm. there were personality changes. Right. There was a difference in my show because it's a different way you stand on stage, sure, of course. different way you move. My voice changed. Mm -hmm. Then I think those are the things that are kind of easy to see and easy to understand. And then when you get to why does factory farming bother me now? Well, partially because I don't have the desire to right. eat it, but also those microbiomes are all the critters that eat the meat are all dead. <laughs> so whatever enzymes they could send, they can't send them because they're gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. I mean, is that what you'd expect? I don't know. I mean, like I've I've also gone through periods of mm -hmm. extreme weight loss. Uh, first time it was on, on a bet. I lost 80 pounds mm -hmm. in four months to mm -hmm. get five dinners at any restaurant in New York when I was a poor starving tuba player. And that was a lot of money back then. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's about what I did. That yeah. was about the time frame I did. Yeah. And I, what I found is like, I did it by cutting out fat largely. I mean, the animal fat and I did a lot of chicken. And then when I first had a prime rib after that, I was like, ugh, and it just made me feel icky. Well, chicken is the worst thing in the world. Okay, well. No, no, know. I'm just saying. So you can do it with anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying I, I felt different. What I found also, though, is like when I would diet and get in shape, I think it must have been testosterone going way up because I became much more aggressive, and I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. I like being calm, happy, relaxed, laid back because that's my that's how I do everything. I try to just be the friendly, empathetic yeah, guy who gets along I with everyone. I didn't get that at all. I didn't get any okay. sort of. Uh, Were you doing uh, weights? Or, yeah, I yeah. did. I did weightlifting stuff like that. Well, I did, first of all, I lost all the weight, and then I did exercise. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was uh, doing it together. Yeah, because if you want to lose weight, you want to get rid of exercise. Well, that's if you want to lose weight, but I wanted to lose fat. 
Still the same. Not necessarily, because it's, if you have more muscle, you no, burn more at rest. That that doesn't actually work out the way they the way they tell you. You're, you that's not. It, that's one of those things that sounds like it makes sense, yeah. but it kind of sort of doesn't, because um, you're also when you're bodybuilding, you're actually bodybuilding. Yeah. So you're holding on to a lot of stuff. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, and doing that, and you can't really. You can't gain muscle while you're losing fat. Yeah, exactly. Right. But you can prevent the loss of muscle. Right. And that's the problem with the people that yo-yo diet. I know know people, they'll they'll get really small because they just starve themselves. Mm -hmm. And then when they get fat, they get way fatter than they were before because they have less muscle. Right. And that's what I've always tried to avoid. And the great thing that's so funny is that we've talked about how this yo-yo diet is very, very bad. It's actually not. I know. Because you spend more time at lower weights. Yep. Yeah, so, it's better than not doing it at all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the idea of being able to uh, to keep some, especially as you get older. Yeah, yeah, and and for me, it was like important. Like, I never lifted a weight in my life until I got to be about thirty, and I saw all these fifty-year-old musicians who couldn't carry their tuba anymore. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that ain't happening to me. So I bought a squat rack, and all I do is squats and deadlifts in my apartment because when you carry a tuba on your back, you're basically every step's a squat. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, that's not happening to me. <laughs> and I think- Did I, you buy your tuba new? Uh, yes, I bought it new. Uh-huh. It was paid for with raccoon blood, which I don't think <laughs> I could do today. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know but- uh, It's amazing how that- Well, that's the thing about being a vegan yeah. is that you don't usually have a, a balance chart where everything's on one side. Right. So you want to be healthier, be a vegan. Yeah. You want to have less suffering in the world, <laughs> For people and animals, be a vegan. You want to help the whole world uh, have less uh, climate change? Mm-hmm. Be a vegan. You know, the the figures are amazing. Like if uh, Americans drop, what is it, three hamburgers a week, <laughs> it's it, it, it saves more than stopping all the cars. Sure, I believe that. It's crazy stuff. And the analogy I always make when I talk about genetics is like all the genes put together for obesity that we've identified that do anything – the effect size is about equivalent to one beer a week or one hamburger a week. You know, it's like nothing because, you know, genes do a lot of stuff, but we have no fucking idea what, and we never will. Never will. Never will. Can't. Because if you think about it, if you only look at all the gene, all the variants in the genome, let's just say, let's assume there was only a million, and there's like way more than that, right? But there's a million, and you only have to look at four combinations of four at a time or five at a time, you're already in the neighborhood of the numbers of atoms in the universe or the number of possible combinations. So you can never work out the actual math of it. There just aren't enough of us alive. Being a, being a, being a dumb magician. I think of that in terms of cards being shuffled. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's, it's the same principle. There's just too many, it's combinatorics. There's so many that that's why you can't figure it out. And that's why most of what people tell you about genetic prediction is nonsense. Now you also, you got your genes done by one of these 28, all of them. All of the companies, uh, and it's hilarious. It's I, total bullshit, right? It's total bullshit. But you know, I, th- I think you should do it, and then you know, after you do it, we can go. And through it's why total it's bullshit, bullshit because they're just saying it's essentially another way of saying you're kind of a big nose, you're a Jew, isn't it? In a way, yeah. It's saying like it's also this idea that genes are predictive and that they're deterministic, and we all know that's not true. You know, if you, you know, there's so much more to life than the DNA you're born with. Well, you know, the DNA is important. We all know that's true, except that all the slang now is, I know. Well, it's in our DNA. I know. I know. (laughs) I know. Look, look, we're both tall. 
right? Yeah. And being tall is probably the most genetic trait there is, right? They say it's 90% heritable or something mm -hmm. like that, right? But you've been to England mm -hmm. and pub doors are here. Yeah. Well, they don't do that in a pub. Right. Unless people are that short. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's clearly not our genes that have changed. It's our environment, but it has more effect than the amount of variation within the population. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's 90% genetic. And, and I've been saying this for a while, and I might as well say it in front of you. Sure. Because the best way to find if you're wrong is to say that. But don't we, because we're all Africans, and I think we Ultimately, we yeah. That, yeah. I claim to be African-American yeah. on that basis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all Africans. Isn't there more genetic variation in Africa than in the rest of the world? Okay, well, this is where you get to a very interesting language thing. So let's talk variance, mm -hmm. the word variance. There's two words, variance. One ends in a T-S and the other ends in a C-E. Mm -hmm. Variance with a C-E, there's more of it in Africa. Variance with a T-S, there's more in the world. Sure, of course, yeah. Well, and the reason is because only a subset of humans left Africa, of mm -hmm. course, and are the ancestors of mm -hmm. everybody that's not in Africa. But within Africa, the populations are really small, so lots of genes go away all the time. So there's not a lot of rare variants. There's a lot of right. things are But that's really why simple. you can have the, uh, the, the Tutsis and the Pygmies yeah, sure. yeah. close together. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy. Because for some reason, they violated one of the fundamental human rules, which is you bang anyone who lives near you. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that to me is the essence of genetic variation around the world. It's like borders are bullshit, right? They're all arbitrary in the last like thousand years. Well, it's only the last hundred or 150 where we had passports and stuff, mm -hmm. right? So before that, if the person lived there, that's the one you had kids with and you passed your genes right. through that way. And that's why genetic variation is continuous around the world. It's not discrete. But yet we talk in America all the time about race as if it's a discrete unit. There's no unit. such thing. Well, but but you know what it is? It's 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 an American thing because in America, the people who came to America were the people that lived on the coasts in extreme ways that are the most distant from each other by land. So they seem to be discreetly different Asian which are separated from most of Europe by Central Asia, which in Russia is considered normal variation. But here we think of them as radically different because we don't have too many Tatars here. And Africa as well, you don't see too many people from the middle region between Africa and Europe. And there's that big desert in the middle that blocks people from having sex with each other. Uh -huh. And so this is why it looks like a discrete, a discrete difference between I mean, the three groups. Isn't it likely if we did the complete genetic breakdown sure. that that uh obama could share more genetic uh information with me than with chris rock well he shares more with me than chris rock because we have a common ancestor seven generations ago according to my cousin who did the <laughs> genealogy but i think that's all bullshit because we all know non-paternity is between five and ten percent among people that think they know who the father is mm -hmm. in almost every culture so i'm sure when you go seven generations back everything you got from your parents is not really where your genes but what are. i mean is that there's so much variation there's in so Africa. much yeah, there's so much variation in Africa, but it's different variation. So you can pretty much, if you if you like, even within Finland, if you look at just six, seven hundred thousand markers that they usually use for simple screening of the genome, you can pretty much tell what town someone's from. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, there's so much structure in the variation because it's who had sex with who most recently. Mm -hmm. And that's really what you're looking at when you're looking at genetic variation. So if you're looking at people from Africa, they mostly had sex with other people that were in Africa for the last 15, 20 generations, maybe forever. They did forever, but we haven't. So we become more different over time. 
So you can clearly see the differences. I mean, you can, I mean, these ancestry tests do very well at telling what population for from you're from if you have like an a recent immigrant origin. With me, it just chokes because white trash wasn't in the wasn't in the, in, the, in, the, in the in the reference, but although it actually is. On one of the sites, they they said I have most affinity for early immigrants to New England and New York, which is absolutely correct. But when they start telling me what where my genes came from historically, they have basically every place in the world included in their model because I don't fit because I'm white trash. Mm-hmm. And I'm not Dutch. I'm not British. I don't identify with any European nation. Yeah, that would, that would be my background. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah but uh, that's why it would be interesting to do it because what I found is like one of the companies used my whole genome sequence and another just used the common markers that they use a lot of times. The ones that use the common markers, it's pretty accurate because they have a lot more data. The ones based on whole genome sequencing just if, uh, said that I came from the populations that had they had the most sequence data from <laughs> because you're matching up with sure. like, really crappy data sets, you know. And then one of them said I had a Han Chinese ancestor four generations ago and a Punjabi five generations ago. And I'm like, well, that might – and he said 99% statistically accurate. I'm like, that might be really nice if there were any Punjabis or Han Chinese in upstate New York five generations ago. <laughs> but I don't really think there were – because yeah, if they walk, if they even wandered through the neighborhood, one of my ancestors would have had sex with them. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about. Because yeah. I, uh, at least in the lore of my family, uh, my mom's a direct descendant of Captain Cook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Once you put a sailor in there, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you put a sailor <laughs> yep. in there, your genetics are gone. My mother used to say when I was very, very little, she would say, "Don't ever." Make fun of another kind of person because you are definitely them. Right, 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 right. She said, "Just name anything; it's in there." It's like it's like people all talk about places like Iceland as these genetic isolates, and I just laugh at them. I'm like, "No, there's no island that's an isolate because sailors always leave DNA behind. Always, yeah. always. Oh. They always have, and they always will." <laughs> and you know, when Captain Cook got to Hawaii. And the maidens swam out to the ship topless. So much for Hawaii. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and why not, right? right. As long well, as they said yes. <laughs> why not is venereal disease? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now we have antibiotics. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, uh, this is, this, we'll have to do this again sometime. After you I get your that. DNA done. Yeah, we'll do that again. But that was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha, cha, cha. And to our listening. You become naked. question want to squeeze it at the end you said very little <laughs> no i because uh, you guys are you guys are smarter than i am but that's all uh, don't underestimate yourself or overestimate us i'm still just processing variance versus variance <laughs> <laughs> i'm just a tuba player man. <laughs> you know we love you hey matt you gonna bring a thank Yes, thank you to all the people who support us over here at patreon.com slash pen. Fine people like Manuel Vidal Perez de la Mesa V, Laura Champagne, come back to Texas again, Wedge Driver, Daniel, a couple weeks old, but I know, I wonder if the Pornhub magician is Chris Angel. (laughs) (laughs) He has a question. He has a question. Rando Admiral, Fly Guy, David K, Sean Brevik, Matt. How is your Superman the Others? Hey, clear your cookies, baby. Superman the Others. Brandon Knapp. Big Damn Clay. Nick Dingman. Colin Durham. 
TheBigScoopOfPodcast.com, Christine and Bobby Mack, Christina Keller, Central Park Owl, Lancy Menchu, Mark Mamborquet. I bought a month of Patreon to say how much I liked random, and also I bought dice, and now I am sucking more dick than ever before. <laughs> Stephen White, Harlan Liam Clark, Michelle DeIser, Jonathan, Brogan Hastings, Placida Scott, Dante Peace, and Damian Martin. Thank you so much. Well, that was wonderful. That was great.